Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. My name is Tierney Jordan. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am your host here for Let's Talk About Sex. Let's Talk About Sex is a podcast sponsored by the Faith Community of Atlanta to discuss disruptive sexual ethics. At TFC, we practice greatest commandment theology. Everything you will hear us discuss here is rooted in the belief that your love for God is displayed through how you love your neighbor, which is an extension of how you love yourself. Therefore, you can't fully love God if you don't fully love your neighbor, and you can't fully love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. This framework is rooted in Matthew 22, verses 24 through 40. As we navigate these conversations around disruptive sexual ethics, we will encounter some topics that could potentially require a content or trigger warning. All right, welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk About Sex, your home for disruptive sexual ethics. I'm your host, Tierney C. Jordan, and this week joining us for a conversation, we have Autumn Clay. She is a family member of TFC, and so um, we're super happy to have her joining us today. Autumn, would you please introduce yourself, let the people know a little bit about who you are. Okay, well, I'm Autumn, aka Rich Auntie. I recently um, relocated to Atlanta, thank God, finally. Um, But I'm a California native, was born in California, um, matriculated at Hampton University for my undergrad, and then I spent a lot of time on the East Coast. I'm an educator by trade, and I'm currently attempting to get back into school and finish my doctorate so I can become Dr. Clay one day. Okay, come on, Dr. Clay, Rich Auntie, (laughs) all of the things, literally. We love it. No, that's you. (laughs) But you're still doing all the things too, okay? Um, So yeah, so thank you so much for being here with us today. We are going to be talking about Hebrews 13 and 4 in the main discussion. But to kick us off, you know, we got to ask the let's talk about sex icebreaker question. What is your relationship with sex? Well, (laughs) um, my relationship with sex is evolving. I grew up um, in a Southern Baptist home with parents and leadership. I wasn't a PK, but my daddy was a deacon and the superintendent of Sunday school. And my mother was all the things, OG, all things. So I grew up very church and church culture was the dominant authority um, besides the Bible, because the Bible was the dominant authority. And so my relationship with sex um, is evolving. I grew up in purity culture. So a lot of the parts of purity culture that are damaging and toxic I've lived through um, and a lot of that obviously altered my view of sex in ways that I've had to unravel from so it's a it's a work in progress because even when when you asked me to do this I I called my friend I was like why did I agree to this because we're clearly talking about sex and I don't know if I want the saints to hear anything I have to say Um, but it was it was rooted in some of that like shame and some of that um, you know, you could be private. You got to keep everything in the closet and under wraps and not talk about it and just know how to do everything. Like it just brought, it just brought up a lot. So I don't know. I'm trying to have a healthy, liberated sexual ethic. I'm not in a relationship and I'm very dimmy. So I'm not like out here just trying to be, <laughs> trying to do things, but, um, 
I've had to unravel a lot of things that I still think that I'm dealing with as a result of my upbringing. Thank you for sharing and letting us into a little bit more about who you are. For the people that don't know, can you tell us what demisexual is? Um, my sexual attraction is not like, I don't just be sexually attracted to everybody. Like it's rooted in deep relationship. Um, and not every relationship, but just certain relationships with people, they, um, when that emotional connection is there, it's like, oh, now I'm attracted to you. Now I like you for real. You know what I'm saying? So it's more so that on the spectrum of, of attraction, which, I'm obviously still learning about, I like I tell people, I used to, I really identify as queer because that was safe for me. Like first I was questioning, then I was queer, but I, I really think I'm a lesbian and that's just where it, <laughs> where it ends. But for the sake of like my family and respectability, I would be over there. So I'm more so identify as like a demi-lesbian because that's where my historical, even when I sit back and think about things during my childhood that I wasn't really, you know, when you grow up church, if something, if something is happening in your development that is outside of what is church normal, um, you either put it away or depending on who you are, like some people, they embrace that part of themselves and they're free as young people. But I was in church leadership. I was that super holy girl, wore my purity ring proudly, went to my purity ball, had my true love waist Bible, trying to convert my friends to be virgins because we got to keep our legs closed. Um, and so much of that was rooted in religion. So anyway, that was a sidebar, but I'm definitely more so demi-lesbian in regards to my sexual orientation and sexual attraction. Awesome. Thank you so much for clarifying and defining that for us and letting us know even more about who you are. And I could definitely relate with growing up church and trying to be out here and follow all the rules and make sure you get it right. And that's just, it makes you compress so many things. It makes you repress so many things. And you have to go back and uncover and figure out who am I without all of these rules that people told me I was supposed to follow. And so um, thank you for letting us in to a little bit of who you are. And so for today's conversation main topic, we are doing Hebrews 13 and 4. And so I'm going to read it in a few different translations just so we can hear um, the NRSV, the NIV, and then KJV. I like to do those for familiarity and just to see how um, different, different words stand out or come up and things like that. So Hebrews 13 and 4 in the NRSV says, let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. And then in the NIV, the New International Version, we have marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and, the, and all the sexually immoral. And then in the KJV, we have marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. All right. I haven't heard the word whoremongers in a very long time. Like, whoa. <laughs> Ooh, that so, word. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. So do you remember the first time you were introduced to this text or anything along the lines of this text and what that experience was like for you? I, you know, whenever someone asks, like, do you remember the first time? Like, I really struggle, especially around church things, because like church was my five to seven day a week. 
So I can't pinpoint when I actually remember hearing it, but I, I do know as a teenager, I think that there were, we used to do like lock-ins and stuff. And there was always a lock-in where there was, <laughs> there was some sort of session on sexual immorality. And this verse was mentioned um, and it was mentioned it's weird because it was mentioned like in multiple contexts. I think as a teenager, it was mentioned in the context of like how you how the word whoremonger stood out. Like, don't be over there being a hoe. Like that was the first thing I remember. I don't even really remember the marriage context until I was like a young adult. And then it was like, you know, the marriage bed, you could do what you want to do. Like you married now. <laughs> not, you married, you, you agree, you in covenant. If undefiled baby go forth and be great. Um, and it, and that's just so weird to me because I've had these conversations with other friends, but it's like, how do you go from don't do anything, don't know nothing, don't be curious, don't experiment? No means no, literally in every context. Um, and then you get married and you're supposed to just suddenly be to quote Meg, freak nasty, like, and there's nothing wrong, like, don't get me wrong, I don't want to be all wild on the podcast, but I just feel like it's so difficult as a woman growing up church, because you have all these conflicting messages, you have this message of don't be the hoe, then be the married hoe, you know, like that, that was the context for me. And it was always perplexing. And it was always something that I was confused about. But at the same time, there was so much shame around sex just in general, because I was like a very prudish child. My mother tried to talk to me about sex. And I was like, baby, give me a book. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you about this. Like, I want to go be in the corner, minding my business. If I have questions, I'll come to you. So there was so much like, shame and like causativeness around sex in general that the questions that I that may have come up in regard to that scripture which the questions did come up I really did wasn't having the conversations with anybody sound <laughs> because we weren't having sexual conversations beyond quoting the bible yeah and it sounds like our youth experiences are a little similar because I definitely have a lot of lock-in youth conference young adult conference memories that um bring like when we're having these conversations jog a lot of a lot of things that I just don't all the, all the time think about and so if I think about I don't like you were saying I don't know if it's necessarily the first time but the one that stands out the most in thinking about this scripture is the undefiled part so everyone would always, it was, it was used as a tactic for why you should wait till marriage, right? So true love waits, purity culture, you're not supposed to be having sex outside of marriage. But once you get married, the marriage bed is undefiled. Whatever undefiled means, because no one ever actually defined undefiled, but apparently it was popping. So whatever was on the other side of marriage, the bed was undefiled and you were supposed to be waiting just for that moment. So it was like, nobody ever said what undefiled was. It was just like this ambiguously undefined term that meant, okay, it's going down. Like that it's good in, in, in that side of life, as far as your sex, sexual relationships can go. And well, you were talking about um, similarities in our experiences and the, the, the lack of definition and undefiled, which brought me to something I wanted to say, because 
I remember like, you know, that age when a lot of people get married, like mid twenties to like early thirties, a lot of my friends were getting married and some of them were still very active in church or had family active in church. And I remember when my sister got married, (laughs) one of my mom's friends was trying to throw her like a a party, which it was like a passion party, but it wasn't like, you know, sell toys, like what we would think, but it was like all the wives were going to come for lack of a better word, disciple her on how to be prepared for her wet marriage. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but I was just like, this is weird. And I'm not going like y'all didn't have nothing to say, but now that she's getting married, you got all these tips and tricks. Like, I don't know. It just, it just strikes me as odd and just off. Uh, And it always has because I don't think that you can raise young women to be repressed in their sexuality and then think that when they get married, there's a, there's a switch that's going to click on that all of a sudden those years of repression that have been programmed are not going to be an issue. And everybody's husband is not the same. Like what your husband likes, someone else's husband may not like. And why not encourage women to enjoy the adventure of exploring their sexuality with their spouse rather than this is what men like. Girl, bye. Right. And thank you. You're jogging my memory. And so what I was saying is similar to what you were saying is there's that instant. It's supposed to be like this toggle in your brain. That's just like an on and off switch. Right. So it's like, oh, yesterday I was not married. I was not supposed to be having the sex today. I am married. I am supposed to be having the sex. Like how does, how do you even think that works in a realistic way? Right. So it's like, my brain does not go from however many years of I'm not supposed to be having sex. And even if you are having sex that quote unquote, this is still bad. I should feel some type of way for doing this to instantly saying, oh no, this is okay now. Like I should be enjoying myself. I shouldn't be this thinking in the back of my mind. Right. I shouldn't be thinking in the back of my mind that I shouldn't be doing this. And so it's really, I think that part that, that gets left out. And so like what you were saying about the party, I think that's, it gives weird. It gives a little, a little strange, but it's also like they were, maybe they were trying. I don't know. Cause it's like, it's, it's kind of like you're, you're trying to help, but are you really helping? Like maybe you had good intentions, but I'm not quite sure. And we can also talk about the fact that as women, we are being prepared to have husbands, right? What about people that don't want husbands? Period. What about people that don't want partners? What about asexual people? What about polyamorous people, right? So it's like the whole narrative of the marriage bed being undefiled. What if people don't want to get married? What does it look like to be, you know, in long-term partnership and to have this verse thrown at you in a way where it's like, oh no, you got to be kept for the marriage bed. That's the end all be all. Well, and I also think like, so full disclosure, um like I said I was super holiness churchy and I lost my virginity when I was 19. I remember I was getting ready to go to college just I was still like super carrying my bible (laughs) and I have this prayer partner who is a pastor now I'm not going to even publicly shame him but I remember he was like, we were both the like super holy rollers. So he was all preaching, you know, in the cafeteria in high school. And I was like, okay. So I remember right before I was going away to college, I was leaving California to move to Virginia. He told me like, yo, I want to take you out 
to breakfast. Like, let's just go. You know, we have been like low-key prayer partners. This was my little churchy friend, dude, like nothing romantic, nothing. So he asked me like, hey, um, meet me at the house. I'm gonna drive us over there. And my dad is a super gentleman. So I'm like, okay, chivalry, thank you for being a good man. I get to the house. He lets me in the house. Something, you know how when the spirit is like, sis eyes wide open right <laughs> so I was getting all these weird red vibes and I was sitting on the couch watching tv and something told me just turn around he was standing at the top of his stairs in a towel like on some jodeci shit okay and I'm like what do you sir what do you hurry up and get dressed because also I'm I'm also not not attracted to him I'm, I'm super dimmy I'm just like I'm not even registering what he's trying to do okay and I'm like, boys, you know, quit playing. And then I realized he's serious. And I was like, I gotta go. And he was like, well, this is literally what he said with the sex face. Well, um, don't you think your first time should be with somebody who could pray you out of your sin? Sis. I was like, I'm telling my daddy. And I, and I left his house immediately. Got in my family's Windstar van and drove home. But I'll never forget that because for me, that was a huge blow because it was like, this is supposed to be a righteous man. This is a man who has been hallelujah holiness the entire time of our relationship. And now you want to be funny and be predatory. And I thank God that it didn't go any other way because there are so many other ways, honey, that that could have gone. But that really like marred me. And then when I got to high school, when I got to college, I was still, even though I'm in college, I was hyper-focused on being chosen, finding my husband. So I could have sex and be married and have a family. And I feel like that all of those combinations of things made me victim to a very predatory first boyfriend because he was way older than me, smooth to the game. He was like, oh, you a virgin? It's okay. Like looking back, I'm like, yo, this dude was slick. <laughs> But I'm just like, oh, he's so respectful, blah, blah, blah. And then by the time I had lost my virginity, I just felt like I was used damaged goods. I felt like there was no hope. I, I stayed in, a, in an abusive relationship for longer than I should have because in my mind, this is the man I've lost my virginity to. So we got to stay together and make it work because he's going to redeem me through marriage, girl. And all of this is stuff that I was taught directly in church, which led to me having you know, a whole breakdown and promiscuity and all of this other stuff, all because of these toxic things that I was taught and the ways that I had interacted with men that were, were rooted in like the way I was taught about sex. And it's really, it's really, I, I have nieces. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm not trying to parent your kids, but honey, if you're raising if you're raising my nieces to believe that they are only validated by a man, I have a problem with that. I, I, I really do. I love the men in my family and I honor men for who they are. Like I'm not a woman that hates men and that's why I've landed on loving women. Like I'm not like that, but I do not like the way that young women are raised and it's it's not just church you know it goes back to patriarchy there's so many experiences that I have as an educator with young women and I'm like hearing them say things and I'm like let me pray for what I can really say to them because I really want to be like tell your daddy to come up to this school so we can have a conversation <laughs> they can't do that yeah and so first I want to say thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing um that part of your story with us because you don't owe us that and so I want to first start by saying thank you um 
And then second, I want to say this just goes to show how patriarchy and misogyny are intertwined so heavily in the language that we're taught, the ways we're taught about our bodies, the things we're taught about our value as um as women, as churched women, as Black church women. And so it just really shows how much there is intentionality in it from the uh, from the origin of the teaching, but the people who are continuing to teach it don't even understand the intentionality and the language that is being taught by continuing to perpetuate these narratives of worthy, of, of being a virgin, of waiting until marriage, all of the repress, repression, all the sexual repression, all the shame, everything that comes along with that is all stemmed and rooted in patriarchy and misogyny. And that's why education is such an important aspect of disruptive sexual ethics, because if you're not teaching things about physical bodies, the way bodies work, the way um, your like your brain works, the way all of those things are connected or not connected for different people, how your sexuality and your sexual expression is an individual expression is unique to each person. There are some universal parts, but we are all different. All of those things are all intertwined in such a way that education is a really, really big part and how so many narratives get taught unintentionally that have lifelong and everlasting impacts on the people who internalize them, even if those weren't the original intentions. And so to shift us um, a little bit forward, still thinking about this Hebrews 13 and 4 verse, um, thinking about the way you originally heard it, the way you were originally taught to interpret this scripture, what affirmations or pushbacks do you have for it? Is there anything here that you found helpful or is there anything here that you have evolved past and pushed back in your own um, evolution? Um, I mean, I push back, I do push back, but I, I guess I'm still wrapping my mind around the ways that I push back. One of my favorite translations of the Bible is the Passion Translation. So I read this verse in the Passion Translation, and it says, honor the sanctity of marriage and keep your vows of purity to one another, for God will judge sexual immorality in any form, whether single or married. <laughs> and um, I think that resonates more with me because in breaking away from rule-keeping theology, like it's, it's difficult when you base your life on rules. Um, because I do believe, I do believe for people who choose to be married or partnered, you know, I do, I do like biblical covenant. Like I'm, I'm, un, I'm unwrapping those things, like what I've been taught and what it means to me. But I think that the judgment from God piece for me, it's not about, um, fornication or what we've been taught as much as it is we've made vows to each other and we've dishonored each other you know so that that to me is the point of the verse it's if you make a vow honor your vow and keep your vow pure between whomever you're making that vow with um because I do think that there's safety there's safety in relationship, there's safety in partnership. I mean, in a perfect world, there should be. And my hope is that when I ultimately partner my life, like I used to, of course, want to, you know, want that 
be married in my 20s have my vibe I was just thinking I'm about to be 40 and my mother had me when she was like 25 so I would have a whole teenager right now if I followed my mother's path um but I also I've had to just deconstruct and break away from a lot of things that if I didn't if I had never done that I would just be in a marriage for the sake of being chosen and I see a lot of women doing that and the abuse that they endure is what this verse talks about to me because I feel like if you're mistreated your vows not being kept if you're not valued um your vows not being kept if you don't have a voice because your husband can be the only voice your vows not being uh, being kept and that's immoral to me and that to me is what God judges so that's what I think about when I think about that scripture I think that if you choose to partner your life with someone and you establish what the norms are for your relationship, that you should honor that. And when you don't, that's when you're breaking, <laughs> breaking the vow or when you're, when you're putting yourself in a position to um, dishonor or disrespect your partner. That's what it's talking about to me, but I'm just not a Bible literalist anymore. And I'm, I'm really interested. Like I didn't have time to like, I'm not a scholar like all of y'all, but I, I wanted to go back and understand the context because so many of these things, it's a specific message for a specific people. And we pick it up and make it the mantle of our generation of our, or our denomination. And, and that's how we get rule keeping theology. So I just wish more people were liberated. I remember growing up, some of the like most loving couples that I saw were people who the church judged, <laughs> like people who weren't married or people who were LGBTQ plus. And, those those markers automate automatically made them disqualified but then you have people who are whole married and you got a secret family you got a secret boyfriend and a secret girlfriend y'all over here swinging but you're pretending as if you have this like biblical definition of marriage um if you ascribe to that and that's the problem I have is like we we have a great we have a great many people who are wonderful pretenders and that's the immorality to me. Like you're out here being fake and lying and presenting this false image to the world and saying it's of God and saying this is God's worldview, but your actual lifestyle doesn't match up with anything. This is just a facade that you're presenting. When other people are out here living their fullest, most, most authentic life <laughs> and actually like loving unconditionally, like agape love, that real, real, that's not mixed with these lies and um dishonor like I know so many I have so many friends whose parents have like separate families and it's like but your parents still married and your mom know your daddy got like six other families but you she's the special one because he stayed with her no bruh that's broken <laughs> that's dishonorable and that to me is a dishonoring of the vow before God so I just think we have to be realistic because a lot of people present as if they're living a certain way according to some sort of biblical standard but they're not living that way at all and then you have other people in bondage because of your pretending yeah I appreciate your approach to rereading the text through a lens of authenticity and honoring the vow that you made right so whatever vow you made with your partner with yourself 
with your multiple partners, honoring that, being true to who you are and keeping that vow. Because if you made a vow to be in a monogamous relationship, that's the vow that you should keep with your partner and with the divine. If you made a vow to love yourself, whichever way that looks like for you, you made that vow with yourself and with the divine. If you made a vow to multiple partners in a polyamorous relationship, you made that vow with yourself and all of your partners and with the divine. And so honoring whatever vow you made, honoring what feels most authentic and most pleasurable for you as you as you express yourself sexually, as you think about your sexuality in conversation with your spirituality, all of those vows are made between you and the divine and whomever else you are engaging in sexual relations with. And I really appreciate that rereading of the text because oftentimes we think about sexual immorality and the definition that we automatically ascribe to that, I don't believe is a helpful one. And so, um, rereading the text from that lens of authenticity and being true to the vows that you make is a really is a I feel like is a really helpful and a really um liberative way of reading this particular verse um as we prepare to wrap up this episode they always seem to go by so quickly um <laughs> is there anything else that's on your heart on your mind as you think about this text as you think about disruptive sexual ethics and morality well, I think at the end of the day, for me, it goes back to knowledge of self. Um, I think that we are remiss if we don't like acknowledge and honor that because I think so many times people have disembodied sexual experiences because they're not able to stay in their body because of either worldviews or trauma or all of the things that could impact your ability to authentically connect to someone sexually. Um, and I, I just think for myself, like, I just feel like I'm a late ass boomer because I'm about to be 40 and I'm still trying to work, work through these things. But it was only when I, be, when I began to know that like, I am loved, I am whole, I am worthy. Um, and in those things, that's just period. But then also, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of pleasurable sexual experiences. Like those types of things um, were important for me to understand. And in order to get to that point, I had to start unpacking a lot of the things that I had been taught either directly or indirectly by the church culture that I existed in. Um, so that I could uh, approach a place of health, because I just think I've, I know for myself that I've had a lot of unhealthy sexual relationships. I think that, um, well, for a long time, the whole sexuality issue, because I'm like, why am I not enjoying sex? Like, I've never had sex with a man and enjoyed it. And my sister be like, girl, <laughs> girl, oh my God. Her and my mom be like, I just, like, mind blown and I'm just like I wish like I really do like I tried a lot honey it was a scientific experiment that failed um but it wasn't until I began to like honor myself and like make peace with who I am and how I am created in the image of the divine and how a lot of the things that I was taught were absolutely horrifyingly wrong and put myself in places where I can grow put myself in places where I can approach health like I don't think that 
I was really making progress with my personal life until I went to therapy. Because initially when I, when I started going to therapy, I went to a Christian therapist. Um, and this was like at the beginning of like my sexual identity um, awareness. And my therapist was like, so are we going to accept that we're a lesbian or are we going to, is this the issue that we're not allowed to touch? And I was like, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Like you are dropped. I was out. <laughs> and I was done with therapy for like a year because I was just like this lady over here trying to make me gay and I'm trying to be delivered. But the reality is that the moment that I actually got to a healthy place to say, oh, she was right. And now let me really get into therapy and having that self-knowledge. It was like, all of the shame and the other things that were really causing me to have extreme mental distress to the point of clinical anxiety and depression, those things were resolved almost instantaneously because I got myself to a healthy worldview to say, you know what? I'm made in the image of the divine. I'm made in the image of God. Like God made me this way. God loves me, period. Everything else we gonna figure out. And so getting to that point of having a, a healthy self-awareness and being honest with yourself and being being real with what you've gone through and like dealing with the healing process is put me in a place now that I feel like when I partner my life with the person that I'm supposed to partner my life with, I'm going to have a wonderful, happy, healthy relationship that includes a sex, a healthy sex ethic, because I now know what is healthy for me. And it's not because somebody is telling me this is a list of healthy sex things, which are really unhealthy. It's because I've sat with myself. I've sat with therapy. <laughs> I've sat with my friends. I've sat with God and figured those things out for myself. And I think there's a healthy balance between figuring it out for yourself and, and getting wisdom, collective wisdom from other people. Um, because both of those inadvertently on their own are not, like I cannot learn about a healthy sexual ethic in a vacuum. Like I can know about my body and I can know about what I like, but I, there's still areas that we all need to learn and grow in. And instead of sex being taboo or some sort of like grand prize that you win when you get married, um, it's just a healthy part of life that you have to learn how to deal with. And once you deprogram from the shame and the, for lack of a better word, false teachings that uplift and prop up patriarchy, you can have a healthy sexual relationship. And I look forward to the day when that happens in my life. Yes, thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate when you said that sex is not a prize that you get when you get married. I think that's something that was internalized for me based on the way I was originally taught this scripture. And so unlearning that um, is has been really helpful and um, really life-giving for me. And I also really appreciated what you said about worth, right? So I am worthy of these things, no matter, not based on what I've done, not, ba not based on what I will do, not based on what I did wrong or any other thing. I am worthy, full stop. That's the end of the sentence. I am beloved by God. I am created by God. I am worthy because I am God's creation. And so um, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk About Sex. Um, how would you like to be found? How can people connect with you um, after this? Well, people can connect with me on Facebook. My name is Autumn, spelled A-U-T-E-M, Clay. Um, I'm on Instagram at Autumn Nation, the same word spelling A-U-T-E-M in the word nation, all one word. Um, 
And, but the main way people can connect with me, honestly, is um, through my I Teach Like Jesus socials because I'm, I'm trying to get myself out of social media abyss um, and just use use it for the encouragement part. So the best way, honestly, I Teach Like Jesus on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, um, because the other pages may disappear at any point, but I Teach Like Jesus will definitely be there. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. All of Autumn's contact information will be available in the chat so that you can connect with her as you continue your journey. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. If you would like early access to these episodes, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash TFCATL. You can also check us out on our Facebook group. Just search Let's Talk About Sex. We keep all of these conversations going in between episodes. We have a meetup every last Wednesday of the month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to hop in on one of those, be sure to join our Facebook group so you can get the link. As always, I'm Tierney Jordan of Let's Talk About Sex, the podcast.